Thanksgiving weekend. I know Cowboy fans had a great weekend, did they not? Are there any Cowboy fans in this audience? I knew there were a couple, just a couple. Um, when I first came here in uh, late 2010, I knew God was calling me here because there were a lot of OSU fans. I thought, here's a people that need Jesus, and I got to come and minister to these people. And so over those years, there's been a lot of fun poking going on, and, uh, and, and, and I walked into a challenge that I thought I'd never have to fulfill. Uh, several Henri Cowboy fans, there are not many, uh, there are several fans, but not Henri, Henri like these guys, but they said, if we ever beat OU, you've got to preach in a Cowboy jersey. I thought, man, okay, whatever, if you want to live in dreamland, we'll go for it. Well, it has come back to bite me uh, today. So me being a man of my word, I will fulfill that duty and preach in a Cowboys jersey today, all right? So this will only happen once in a decade. Here we go. Let me get my jersey. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. I'll preach in a Cowboys jersey. Here we go. All right. You got your Bibles? That's for you Cowboy fans out there in the audience. Here we go. I'm a man of my word. Well, as we have finished Thanksgiving, we've made our way through a very crazy weekend, and now it's Christmas season. Can I get an amen from the congregation ready to move into Thanksgiving? That means you should be putting together your famous Christmas wish list. Have you already started on it? Started putting that list down, leaving subtle messages for mom and dad, grandma and grandpa of all the things that you want to see this Christmas. Well, I usually start the season by going to the Neiman Marcus Luxury Christmas Catalog. You know such a thing exists, right? It's all these things that none of us can afford, but they're willing to sell to anybody who puts this on their list. Let's start for the gentleman in the room. Gentlemen, Neiman Marcus has showed up for us this year. They are offering right here the Barrett-Jackson Hummer Electric Vehicle Edition 1. For $285,000, you can have the slickest, most masculine electric vehicle on the market. You can drop the gavel at one of their prestigious auctions, and you can be a part of the limelight in the Barrett-Jackson world, all for $285,000. We are not a spoiled people. And if you really want to see that, guys, if you really want the lady in your life to show up big for your Christmas list, you're going to have to show up. So if you flip over in the catalog to the her section, Here's what you're going to have to come up with. If you want the EV, here's what she gets. Right here, you'll see it. It is the Mogul Heart Diamond Ring. Over 30 brilliant carats of perfect diamond. It is a treasure that royalty and European families, American royalty, have fought over for years. It is a one-of-a-kind diamond. The price tag on that baby, $6.1 million dollars. And they're selling that. And it gets to be renamed into the name of the buyer forevermore. That gets to be your privilege, and that's what everybody needs for Christmas. An overpriced EV, a crazy honking ring. Uh, we ask for some crazy stuff. And our list may be a little bit more practical than that, but here's the deal. All of us have a wish list. But let me ask you this. What if God himself... Drop down into this room today and had a conversation with you and said, all right, if there is one thing that I could give you this Christmas, I wonder what you would ask for. 
What would be that one thing that if you could ask of God and he would do it, you would ask for? Well, today as we dig into the last God question of this series, even though there's lots of those questions, matter of fact, in our Church Center app, you can download 100 questions that God asks. And we've been learning more about life, yes, finding answers, but we find those answers through these God questions. Questions that in the moment and in Scripture look ridiculous, but actually drive us deeper into life truths. Well, if God were to give you that opportunity and grant you your wish, we understand God isn't a genie, a divine genie in heaven, that you can just rub the little lamp and out pops God and God says, okay, I'll give you one wish. But I will tell you this, God is one that will give you the desires of your heart. We're in Mark chapter 8, that's where we left off last week, and in that God question, they were wrestling with the reality of who they were and who God was. They were wrestling with how do we deal with the issues of our day? You and I are wrestling with those same life questions. How do I deal with my issues? How do I deal with these circumstances? How do I find answers in a world that's cloaked in chaos? Well, Jesus would help them in that moment. You remember they had over 10,000 people they needed to feed. Jesus said, I have compassion for the people. I don't want them to go away hungry. And the disciples said, well, Lord, there's no other option. We don't have enough bread to take care of these people. You remember the God question? God asked and he said, what do you have? What do you have? And it wasn't being cruel. He wasn't rubbing their face in the reality that they had nothing. But that's where they had to, that's where they had to discover the truth of life. You see, if we don't answer that question, I have nothing, we can be deceived by an enemy to think we've got everything. We can be deceived to think, you know, I got just enough strength. I have just enough willpower. I have all these resources. I can fix this. Oh, yeah, I know I shouldn't have gone there. I know this is going to be a, a challenge, but, but I can fix this. We can't. We all come short of the glory of God. We have to come to a point to say, Lord, I have nothing, but I seek you, the God of everything. And when we do, God steps into that. And so these guys were blinded by their self-reliance and they were blinded by their own facts and their own reality. And I would tell you that every person in this room, preacher included, has that same blindness, that same problem, that we think we have what it takes to fix it. Well, Jesus is going to let them see a new reality. He's trying to unveil that blindness and help them to see what they need to see. But these guys move on from this miracle, and they move on to the next thing in their day, and the next thing on the agenda. Except this time, as Jesus challenges them to get in a boat and to go the other side, they do what a lot of people did this holiday weekend. I don't know if you've traveled in for the holidays or if you had anybody travel in or, or if you can think back to your last family road trip, but I promise you it doesn't matter what road trip you think of, somebody has left something behind. Can I get an amen from the ladies in the congregation? not saying you did it. You have to cover for those of us who did it. Somebody forgot their precious phone charger, and now they're milking yours the whole weekend, and you can't charge yours because you've got to bail them out. Somebody forgot their medication. Somebody, an uncle usually, forgot his billfold or an aunt who forgot their purse. And then there's even some families that even leave a child behind in the spirit of home alone. Can I get an amen from anybody in the congregation? 
Well, go to Mark chapter 8. The disciples, they did this too. They pack up, they get in the boats, they start to move to the other side, and they forgot something pretty important. It says the disciples had forgotten to take, watch this, bread. Bread. Are you kidding me? If you remember the story, they had so much bread on hand, they collected seven baskets full, and those baskets were as tall as the disciples. And they had tons of leftovers. And somebody forgot to pack it in the boat. And they were getting together and they were frustrated and they realized they didn't have more than one loaf in the boat among them. And Jesus was giving orders to them saying, watch out, beware, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. While they were worried about loaves of bread, Jesus would use the lack of bread and the picture of bread and he'd say, your problem is not that you left groceries behind. Now, that's a problem for most Baptists. If we don't have enough victuals in the equation, we get real grumpy. I get it. But it wasn't that they had left bread behind. That wasn't their biggest problem. Their problem was the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What is that? What was Jesus speaking of? Well, it's something that most of us are blind to, and certainly it was something they were blind to. It was something they didn't realize they were struggling with, and yet Jesus stops and says, guys, whoa, 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 wait. You're worried about the wrong things. There's a bigger problem here. You need to be worried about the leaven of the Pharisees and leaven of Herod. Now, the right thing to do in this moment is to perk up. The right thing, if you're a disciple, is to say, okay, okay, fair enough. What is the leaven of the Pharisees and leaven of Herod? Well, they go on in verse 16, and they began to discuss what Jesus taught? No. They kept on talking about the fact that they had no bread. And I'm sure that they were arguing about whose fault it was and who should have had it and why didn't they pack it and who's going to make up for it and, and you don't get any bread because you should have brought it in the first and you can see it all unfolding in the boat or the back seat of a car. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand? Guys, wake up. Man, I just told you what your problem is, and you're fighting about the wrong things. Maybe we need to wake up. Maybe this story is here in Scripture, not just because we're getting a history lesson on what went wrong with the disciples. Maybe it's a lesson we need as his disciples. Maybe we don't understand. Maybe we have an inability to comprehend. Maybe we've been blinded as well. Take a look at what Jesus also said. He said, do you still have... Hearts that are hardened. Now, I could have made those the God questions today. Those are tough questions. Do you not understand? Can you not comprehend? Do you have a hard heart? I figure for the holidays, I'd skip those God questions. You can wrestle with those on your own at home. But let's see what he did want them to see. Verse 18. He says, the problem is you have eyes, but you can't see. You have ears, and you don't hear. What Jesus was saying to the disciples is, guys, you're struggling. And the reason you're struggling is not because you're not good guys and then because you haven't had access to the right information. You're not listening and you're not looking. And so I would challenge each of, us, each of us this very morning, what about us? Are we listening any better than they are in this passage? Are we seeing any better than what they were seeing in that moment? Or are we too blind to see what we need to see. While they forgot to pack their bread, that wasn't the problem. Their problem was their hearing and their seeing. Look at, look at verse 15. Go back to verse 15. 
Remember what he told them? You've got issues way bigger than bread. It's the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What was that? What was it that was blind in their eyes? What was this leaven? Well, there are a lot of Bible scholars that would say it was sin in their life. A picture of leaven, whenever you added it, yeast, it was a picture of what happens in our lives when we add the wrong things and, and it corrupts. So you see, yeast is a fungus, if you will, and it is a picture of sin. And so he uses the picture when we take the Lord's Supper, we don't pick up a big old piece of, uh, of sourdough bread. We pick up unleavened bread. It's without yeast, without the sin, because that was the body of Jesus. That's the best picture. The yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod, what happens when you add yeast to that unleavened bread? It bloats up. It gets big. It grows larger. And, and I think one of the pictures here is the reality of what happens in our life when we allow sin and we allow pride into our life. We become bloated. We become bigger than we should be. It's about us and not about him. Herod, who was a ruler over the people. Pharisees, who were the religious rulers over the people of Jerusalem and, and Israel. All of them living for power and wanting to be at the top. I think that was the leaven. And I think it was the same issue that the Pharisees were, or that the disciples were struggling with. I think it's the same thing you and I struggle with. When we wake up every morning, we decide who's going to be Lord that day? Us or Jesus? Who's going to be in charge? Will it be the Lord of our lives or will we be the Lord of the day? It's the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees. And it blinds our reality. The reality is we all have blind spots and where do they come from? Blind spots are those things we can't see that others might be able to see. Matter of fact, if you look at this next picture and you, you get a picture of a horse with blinders on, okay, they put those blinders on because they don't want those horses to see what's around them. They want them to stay tunnel vision. They don't want them to see the stall they're about to go in. They'll get distracted. They'll get afraid. And so they put on blinders so they can't see certain things. All of us have blinders, whether we realize it or not. There are things that we are blind to. We are blinded by our self-reliance. We're blinded by the facts of the day. And we're blinded by an absence of light. Matter of fact, if you look up the definition for a blind spot, anatomically, there is a definition of blind spots that literally happens in the eyeball. It's a small circular area, the back of the retina, where the optic nerve enters in, and it is devoid of rods and cones and is not sensitive to light. And that one spot of the eyeball is a blind spot because it does not receive light. Isn't that interesting? I would tell you that the same thing is true in your life personally, spiritually. If there's an area of your life you're not letting the light of God's word into. If you are resisting that and you are not taking the light of God's word into that issue of your life, it will lead to a blind spot and the disciples were just as blind as two men we're about to read in Mark chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, Mark chapter 8 verse 22 now. So they came to Bethesda, and they're going to find a blind man, but they've they got to realize he's not the only blind guy in town. They were just as blind as he was. Some people brought a man who was blind to Jesus and begged him to touch him. Taking the man who was blind by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting in his eyes, laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? What a crazy question. Can you imagine this guy? 
some stranger is just spit in your eyes and he wants to know if you can see anything? No, I can't see anything. You just spit in my face. How am I going to see anything? No way. Crazy question. He answers it. He looked up and he said, I see people. He started to see. I see them like trees walking around. Then again, he laid his hands on his eyes. He looked intently and was restored. And he began to see, watch this, he began to see everything clearly. So we look in on this story. As they come to the other side, Jesus is going to take them into this moment and teach them a lot about who he is. But quite frankly, he's going to teach them more about who they are. They think they're there ministering to a blind man. Jesus is wanting them to see their own blindness. Here's a guy who was totally blind. Halfway through the story, he's partially blind. He can kind of see. He's seeing more than he's ever seen before, but he's still not seeing clearly. And then by the end of the miracle, he's seeing clearly. Everybody in this room is in one of three conditions. Right now, it could be that you are totally blinded to the truths of God, who God is and God's will for your life. You may be completely blind to that. The Bible says that the God of this world is blind in the minds of those who don't believe. I spent 17 and a half years of my life on this planet blinded to God and his plan for my life. And then as I started hearing the word of God preached and I started going to church with Cammie, all of a sudden God started to show me who he was and who I was. He showed me that I was a sinner who fell short of his glory, but he showed me his love and that God so loved me he sent his son to die in my place and that while the wages of my sin was death, he became that death so that I could have life abundantly and life eternally. I began to start seeing more clearly. After nine and a half months of hearing the gospel preached, finally one night in front of half my hometown, I saw clearly Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. I clearly saw who I was, bankrupt, and had nothing that I could offer as righteousness before a holy God. And in that moment, I clearly saw my need for a Savior. And on that night, I was saved. I went from total blindness to partial blindness to seeing clearly. And as we look at this story, we see the reality that God and God alone can open our eyes to see what we need to see. Nobody else could fix this guy. This guy couldn't fix it. He couldn't try harder. He couldn't focus better. He couldn't see he was blind. But Jesus changed everything. In the end, he started to see clearly. Here's the neat part of the story. Here's a man who could see clearly. The sad part is there were disciples who were still partially blind. And maybe as you're looking at the pages of Scripture this morning, you can see every word on that page. You're following right along with me, and you clearly see the story but maybe you're like the disciples in the story. You are partially blinded right now by self-reliance, by your own resources, by the reality of your circumstances. Jump over to the second blind story. It's in Mark chapter 10. So from Mark chapter 8 to Mark chapter 10, we have all these stories of spiritual blindness. The first story here in Mark 8 we just saw. Now we're in Mark chapter 10, and we're going to see the story of Bartimaeus. Look at verse 46. They came to Jericho, and later as they were leaving this town of Jericho his, with his disciples, a large crowd, a beggar who was a blind man named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out, and he began to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There were many in the crowd who were there with him, and 
Instead of having compassion for his pain and his blindness, they started scolding him and telling him to be quiet, that he needed to be more dignified. He needed to quit being so loud. He needed to quit being a distraction. Can I tell you, it's okay to get loud in the church if it's dignified loud? Is it okay for you to understand you don't have to be frozen chosen? You can get loud if it's focused on Jesus. Too many of us are too dignified in our seats and in our sanctity of the moment, and we're not passionate about pursuing Jesus because I don't think we know we have a problem. This guy knew he had a problem. He knew the only place he could go was to Jesus and even though everybody was telling him to be quiet, look at what he did. He kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped in that moment, and he said, call him here. So they called the man who was blind, saying to him, take courage. Stand up. He is calling for you. Throwing off his cloak, he jumped up, and he came to Jesus. And replying to him, Jesus said, watch this, underline, here's your God question. What? do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Again, we look in on this God question. It seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Really, Jesus, are you really going to be, are you going to be that harsh in this moment? What do you think he wants you to do? Think he wants you to teach him how to sing, how to dance? He wants to see. You ought to know the answer to your foolish question. And yet Jesus asks it. What have I taught you to do when God asks a question? What should you do? Don't just read the story. Put yourself in the question. So we're back to where we started with that whole Christmas wish list. God asks you one question. What can I do for you? That's your question. How would you answer it? Well, I think most of us have an answer. But I think most of us would miss the opportunity. And I think we would ask for the wrong thing. Oh, it might be a good thing. It might be an important thing. It might be a great, I'd ask for world peace. We might get real spiritual. Uh, I might ask for this or that, and we might even make it an honorable ask, but it might not be the right ask. Let me give it to you. Here's what he was trying to teach, not just Bartimaeus, but also the other blind people in the audience, his disciples. Look at verse 35. Go back to verse 35. Let me tell you why I know he was talking to more than Bartimaeus. Because we see just earlier, Jesus has already asked this question before. And he's asked it not of unbelievers or blind men on the side of the road or pagans who were blinded by the God of this world. He was asking it of his own disciples. Take a look at it. Verse 35. James and John, you know these guys, the two brothers, the two sons of Zebedee. They came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Remember the divine genie? Remember God who grants our wishes? They came up to him and they said, Lord, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Verse 36, and Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The same question was posed to James and John that Jesus posed to Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, a blind guy, could see more clearly than James and John. Bartimaeus' request was way more biblical than what we see in James and John, the two strongest disciples in Jesus' team. 
Guys that had walked with Jesus for three years, and they come up to him after three years of seminary training, and they say, listen, Jesus, you better do what we ask of you. Okay, guys, what can I do for you? Look at, look at what they asked. In their blindness, because of their blind spots, look at this, verse 37. They said to him, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. They thought they were making a really neat God request. They thought they were being real spiritual in the moment. They thought they were coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, we know who you are. You're special. We know that you're the Messiah. You're the promised one, the one that's going to deliver us from Rome and all this evil that's in our land and this pagan government that's taken over our country. And you're going to be revival to our people. And we're going to be Israel once again. And oh, by the way, when you become king... We have a simple wish, not selfish. Matter of fact, it doesn't matter if it's my brother who's on the right or on the left, or if it's me on the left or on the right. Just give us a government job. That's all we're asking. We just want to serve with you, Lord. See how spiritual they were being? They want to be servants. They want to be his right-hand men. They want the best for the Messiah, right? No, they wanted what they wanted. And they were blinded, even though they thought they saw who Jesus was, and they thought they saw this opportunity, they were blinded. What by what? Their pride, their ego, their desire to be great, the leaven of Herod, and the leaven of the Pharisees. Lord, bless us. Lord, just this one thing. Give us privilege. Give us power. Give us opportunity you see the difference in their answer to jesus question than what bartimaeus asked for both were the, were given the same opportunity both of them were right in front of jesus both of them received the same question what can i do for you sons of thunder ask for privilege ask for blessing Bartimaeus said, I just want to see. I'm going to put a graphic up on the screen. I want you to take a look at it. And you see two parentheses. On the left, you see the blind man healed in Mark chapter 8 that we started with. The other parentheses on your right, that is Bartimaeus being healed of his blindness. And if we had time today, I would walk you through those three chapters, chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10, and I could show you 8, 9, 10 different areas of blindness. And it wasn't other blind men sitting on the side of the road that needed help. Every single one of them was the disciples' blindness. In Mark chapter 8, we find Peter rebuking Jesus in verse 12, telling Jesus, you don't get it. You don't know what you're talking about. I obviously do. I see more clearly than you do, Jesus, and I'm going to help you get right. And he rebuked the Lord. Later on, he would have an experience with, oh, by the way, James and John. The three were given a privilege to go up on the mountain with Jesus, and there appeared Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets. And then Jesus was transformed in all of his glory, and there they were in the Shekinah glory, the holiness of who they were, who God is, who Jesus is. They saw that. They came down the mountain. And Peter, still blinded by his reality and his inability to see the supernatural, 
So we need to build three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. In other words, Jesus was equal to the other two heroes of the faith. He thought he was seeing Jesus as a hero, but he wasn't seeing Jesus as God. You could go on and you could see other circumstances. Rebuking children, stopping people from healing others in Jesus' name because they weren't of their tribe. Time and time and time again, throughout those three chapters, the disciples are missing it over and over and over again. And they would look out and they'd say, oh, there's a blind man. Oh, there's a blind man. Oh, wait a minute. What about this blind man? See, when you came in this morning, I don't think any of you would have said, if God were to ask me, what can I do for you? I don't think any of us would have said, Lord, I got blind spots. Because I think we come in thinking we're seeing perfectly fine. We're, we, we see it. And yet we're blind. We're just as blind as Bartimaeus. Maybe more blind because at least he knew he was blind. The disciples didn't see it. Jesus would have to say to him, are you so hard in your heart that you still can't comprehend? Guys, it's not just these people that are blind. You're being blinded by the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees. That's why Paul prayed in Ephesians. That's why we prayed earlier as chair warriors. God, open the eyes of our heart because we all have blindness. And the scary thing is, we think we see perfectly. But there's something we're not seeing. Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Jesus asked the question, what can I do for you? What would you ask of God right now? If you had that, and we do. We do have that same opportunity. As children of God... What would you have God do for you? And we could come up with a list a mile long, couldn't we? Lord, change this. Lord, heal this. Lord, do this. Lord, promote me to this. Lord, give me this. When all along, there's one thing we should say. Lord, open the eyes of my heart. I need to see Jesus. I need to see with divine wisdom, with divine knowledge. We need to confess that we are blinded by our own self-reliance, our own resources, and the reality of a natural perspective. God, open our eyes. Maybe there's somebody here today or worshiping online, and God is opening your eyes like he did me on October 18th. And you see for the first time, I may know who Jesus is, but I don't know him as my Savior I see clearly now I need to be saved from my sin. Jesus, I give you my life. You ought to be the first to come. Maybe God's giving you the ability to see him as Savior, but you're still blind like the disciples. You have a blind spot. Maybe God is starting to show you what that blind spot is today, and you need to say, God, help me see more clearly. Lord, I confess I have blind spots. Lord, I want to see as you see. Open the eyes of my heart. Maybe you need a church family, a place where you can serve God. We would invite you to come. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you through a blind spot. We'd love to pray with you. Whatever you need to do, I'm going to pray over us. We're going to stand. Alex will sing. And I hope that you will come. Father, 
We now come to that time that we prayed for earlier in the service for this altar to be flooded with repentance and with eyes that have been opened, with lives that need to be changed. So God, we come to this holy moment with a holy expectation. And God, we surrender to you just like Bartimaeus that threw off his cloak and ran to Jesus. God, may people do that this very moment. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.